Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Greetings one and all, and welcome to Moments That Rock, a proud member of the Pantheon group of podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Michaelidis. I spent three decades working in the music industry, running my own PR company, and working as a publicist. For you 2 The Police, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, New Order, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. If you want to know more, feel free to visit my website at www.tonymichaelidis.com. Each week, we'll strive to bring you a cornucopia of musical delights, all based around storytelling. There's archive interviews from back in my radio days with the likes of the Ramones, Steve Winwood, the Cramps, U2, etc, etc. We also have some great stories from some industry insiders. Right, intro done, on with the show. There's a whole bunch of rock stars who work behind the scenes, and they have some great stories. Insider Insights takes you inside their world for their stories and their rock star moments. And today's Insider Insights is with a great guy called Malcolm Gary, friend and colleague from back in the day. For those in the USA that might not be aware of Malcolm, Malcolm created a groundbreaking program in the UK back in the 80s called The Tube. And that certainly is not all. But we'll leave the storytelling up to him. A potted history of Malcolm. Um, when I left university, I went to, I, was, I wanted to be a teacher. But I didn't really want to be a teacher. It's just something I fell into uh, because it was a job that you could get in the northeast of England. And um, I'd heard about a school in a mining village outside of Sunderland called Ryup, um, Ryup Colliery. 
And what was interesting about this is I'd done my thesis on progressive education. And I'd heard about this guy at Ryup School who did um, had taken over this, what was a very traditional grammar school, turned it, it had been turned into a comprehensive, and he just revolutionized it. He got rid of school uniform, got rid of uh, corporal punishment, um, built a radio station for the kids to run themselves, had a, started a, a weekly newspaper for the kids, and was very keen on music and the arts. And I thought, my goodness, that's a brave thing to do in a, in a fairly traditional, you know, slash very traditional mining community, uh, which he did. And he took on the authorities, he took on the Department of Education, and he did it. Anyway, I was really intrigued by this. Went to work there, cut a long story short, met a genius music teacher called George Robinson. We did all the usual thing, like Joseph and his technical dream coat. I was teaching English and drama. The Mikado, I was like, oh my God. And it just wasn't, none of us were enjoying it, least of all the kids. And uh, he came bouncing in the staff room one day with a copy of a new record by The Who called Tommy. And uh, he said, hey, kid, have you heard this? And I said, no, not yet. I was going to buy it tonight. He said, oh, go take it home and listen to it. I think we should do it. And I said, what do you mean, do it? He said, we should do this. And I said, but there's no score. How are you going to do the music? And he got quite grumpy. He said, I can do the bloody music if you can do the drama. And I said, well, I can do the drama. But and, and anyway, we got off to a bad start. But a long story short, I ended up writing to Pete Townsend as a humble school teacher to get the rights to this thing and also see if we could borrow the, the orchestral score never expecting a response. Pete wrote back to me and said, Malcolm, I'd be thrilled. Here's the score, sends the original score, which was about, you know, three foot high, three books of it, the entire orchestral score. We put it on, it gets huge press. Um, and then we do Stardust, the Ray Connolly movie, which uh, was, you know, became quite a thing with David Essex and Adam Faith. That was next year. And that got a network documentary on ITV about the music and drama we were doing at the school. And then I got a call from the head's office saying, Malcolm, you've got a call from New York. Would you like to take it? And I went, what? And I was in class teaching metaphors and similes, took the phone call, and it was the director of Stardust, the movie. He said, Malcolm, I've just been reading about your show in the New York Times. <laughs> Could myself and Ray, the writer, come over for the last night? And he said, I know it's sold out. I know the tickets are on the back mark, black market. I've read about all this. And I know you've got a big documentary film crew there, but I'd love to see it. And we said, yeah, of course, of course you can. And it was this young, skinny, clean-shaven guy called David Putnam. Uh, now, Lord David Putnam, who went Oscar winner, you know, Chariots of Fire, etc. And it was basically, the, sh the show was a massive success. The documentary went out on the network. We had pages about us in The Guardian and the, the Daily Mail and um, the school that pipped Ken Russell to the post. And it was really David Putnam and Ray Connolly who said, Malcolm, you've got to do this full time. We're going to introduce you to this woman at Time Tears Television called Andrea Wonfor, who wants to develop youth programming. And I met, I met Andrea at a pub in the middle of Sunderland. We got, I put my best leather trousers on. <laughs> I, and we got absolutely hammered. And uh, I thought, this is great. <laughs> this is television. I'm, I'm in. And then I never heard anything for about three months. 
uh, out the blue, I got a letter saying there was a job coming up. Would I like to do it? It was six weeks. So I resigned from teaching, get the job, and ended up presenting a kid's show called Saturday Shake-Up. And it became quite a success. Tyne's television in the northeast of England never took tears was. So we showed we did this show called Saturday Night Shake uh, Saturday Shake Up, and it was a, a hit. And we did a lot of music in it. And I said to Andrea, my boss, I'd really love to do a music show. And she said, put it down on paper, Malcolm, and I'll take it upstairs to the boss. So I came up with an idea for a show called All Right Now and managed to persuade them to do a pilot. And I booked the first two bands I booked were both unknown bands at the time. One was called Police and the other one was called Dire Straits. And the next night after the show, I got hauled up to the managing director's office who didn't even look at me from his desk. And he said, Malcolm, how on earth do you expect me to get this show of yours all right now on the network and fund it? If you keep, it, keep booking no account fucking unknown bands, but where's Cliff Richard? And I, and I said, but honestly, Andy, it's not that kind of show. And he said, well, if it's not that kind of show, I can't get it on the network. Anyway, the pilot went out. It got a huge response within the region and it got lots of press. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you a series, but you know, get some big bands, would you? The bands we got on were Thin Lizzy, Dr. Feelgood, The Pretenders, The Clash, one of only two ever TVs he ever did. You, know, you name it, they did it. We got John Bonham up to do an interview with Billy Connolly. We talk about Led Zeppelin. Uh, basically, Elvis Costello uh, did a, a blinding set, got absolutely pig-eyed drunk. I had to have him escorted out the studios and thrown onto City Road in Newcastle. Basically, anybody who was doing anything interesting at the time was on that show. But we never got it networked because the network was controlled by, as you know, Tony, the big companies in London and Manchester. So it was Granada, London Weekend Television, Thames TV, um, you know, and unless you were part of that cartel, it didn't matter how good your damn show was, you could never get it shown other than in your own region. So, but what, we, what did happen is there was a lot of buzz around the show, a huge amount of press, in the music press and in the tabloids about this little show we were doing up in Newcastle. Then what gets invented? Channel 4. The government announced that it wanted to launch a new alternative channel called Channel 4 and that all the shows that would be on there would be fully networked. So there would be no local shows as such. It would be all network commissions and that they wanted to really try and get new ideas from the regions. So everybody at Time Tees got very excited and my boss, Andrea, and her boss, Andy Allen, said, look, Malcolm, we think you should put a, an idea in for a new music show. Because, you know, Jeremy Isaacs, who's running this new channel, has said he wants to favor music and the arts. And he wants to favor programs from the regions. Hallelujah. Um, so I came up with this idea called Jamming, which was really another name for All Right Now, but we thought we should give it a, a bit of a, a fresh spring clean. It was for six half hours and um, we submitted it to the channel. 
and then I had to go off to Stockholm because we were doing a kids show on, which was networked actually because they said, oh, we let you have the odd children's program because that was kind of tucked away in the schedule. <laughs> so Tiny T's got the odd children's program to do on the network. And we did a kids show called Razzmatazz. You might remember it. Um, I do. Tony. And I was going over to Stockholm to interview ABBA for, uh, for Razzmatazz. And I get a call from Andrea. We're all in the bar one night. We've been filming. And Andrea said, do you want the good news or the bad news? And I went, oh, Andrea, I hate that. And she said, well, the bad news is Channel 4 doesn't want six half hours of jamming. And I went, what? And I went, oh, God, what have you got to say? Hang on, hang on, hang on. They want 20 one-hour, 45-minute programs live starting the week the channel opens on November the 5th, bonfire night. And you have to get on a plane tonight or tomorrow morning to meet the head of the channel. And the budget is two million pounds. At the time, it was like, what, 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 what? What, are you kidding? And I said, well, what's the brief? She said, it's basically jamming, but you know, he doesn't like the name, or needs a new name. And, and he, she said, oh, and by the way, uh, he's gonna tell you tomorrow what the brief is properly. Meet me in this restaurant in Charlotte Street. So I'll fly back. And I meet Andrea, and in walks Jeremy Isaacs, looking like kind of Dracula. He had this big black coat, I remember, and he burst through the doors. He drank my glass of wine, and he said, Malcolm, congratulations. Really excited by this program. Um, uh, I want to say two things to you. Here's the brief. Keep it live and give it balls. Got to go. Bye. And off he went. It was just bonkers. And then... Um, I'd like to find a name, and um, uh, which we did eventually. We came up with the idea of the tube because the um, I was reading a magazine. I was in Benidorm on holiday reading my wife's magazine, and for the TV listings, it said, "Tonight, what's on the tube?" I thought that's a cool name. The tube, you know, it used to be tubes in TV sets back in the day, and the entrance to the new studio at Chinese Television, we probably remember it, Tony, was a tube. And there was a you know, tubular bells and there was a, a great kind of punk glam band called The Tubes. And it just all made sense and everybody seemed to, to, to love it. Um, and uh, we had to go to a launch of the channel, Channel 4 at the Drury Lane Theatre. There's hundreds of producers there and journalists. And this guy stood up called Elkin Allen, who had been involved in Ready Steady Go back in the day. Very famous music programme in the 60s, fabulous show. And he said to Jeremy Isaacs, Jeremy, this show you've commissioned, The Tube from Newcastle, it will never work for two reasons. One, it's not coming from London's trendy West End. And secondly, you'll never get the talent to go to Newcastle. And Jeremy turned around on his heel and said, the very reason I've commissioned it, Elkin, is because it's not coming from London's trendy West End. And I would just wait and see whether Malcolm and his team up there can deliver the talent before you make that sort of comment. And because the show ran for nearly six years and we had every major artist on the planet perform. McCartney, Elton, Tina Turner, U2 became the kind of house band Miles Davis, Prince, you name it. 
they all did it and they often did it more than once sometimes two three four times as well as all the new talent and that was really my big introduction to music television insider insights is a regular weekly feature in moments that rock it's where we talk to behind the scenes people in the music industry and let them share their stories meanwhile a word from our sponsors Another feature of Moments That Rock is our Mankaniang talk. Me and Steve Glum. Today we're going to discuss a little bit about what exactly we feel might happen or not might happen to the live music circuit. As we kind of grew up in that arena, so to speak, Steve, I mean, everybody you ever saw probably that became successful in things, you've probably seen in some sweaty little club on the way up. As we speak now, so many small venues where real talent like learnt its trade just won't be there will they no you know that's it's sad i mean you're you're taking what at least a year maybe two maybe more out of the you know the live club scene um or the certainly the major touring scene i mean look at bands even like acdc just came out with a new record can't tour behind it not to be able to tour behind a new album. I mean, there's a huge amount of excitement that goes into seeing your band live, but also when they've got something new that they're touring behind, you know, there's just that revival of energy that comes with a new record. And I don't know, you know, what's going to be the case here. I mean, I'm working with some bands now that, you know, we're trying to put tours together and, you know, keep moving the start date because the pandemic is going on and, you know, it's getting worse. And, you know, so these areas that we're talking about trying to put tours in, it's so uncertain. You just slide it down, not three months, not three months, not three months. And for the smaller venues, God love them. How do they stay in business? You know, like what would a CBGBs be able to do today? I mean, you can't have anybody in your bar. You know, I interviewed Peter Hook a while back. Here's a guy who's kind of spent 40 years on the road. And it's a simple question. It's like, well, apart from maybe driving the wife what crazy, what are you doing now? Because your entire life has been on the road. Mm-hmm. And do you see a new beginning? You know, we both went to see you too on the 30th anniversary of, of the Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in the 60s now. I mean, if they don't tour for two or three years, I mean, it's not like they need to tour for the money. If you want to see the Rolling Stones last time, it might be the last time they ever toured, finally. Yeah. Because so many people are, are, are kind of the edge of their careers and they might think, you know what, I'm done with this. Yeah. And the fans, again, lose out. It's all about live for virtually everyone. They want that instant feedback, you know, of a, a live audience and screaming fans and just adrenaline and the goosebumps and, you know, just, just that's it, man. And Bruce Springsteen, a couple of years ago, finished a year on Broadway. I bet he's glad he did that because that's never going to happen. An intimate gig with just X amount of people, an artist of that stature, and you can see the expression on his face and the emotion and his storytelling in between the songs. I was wondering if, you know, in the same way that that like Netflix and Amazon Prime and stuff have taken over what Mm -hmm. was television by streaming, Mm -hmm. I just wonder if there's a streaming element to all this on like a YouTube, if you like, where... You can sit with a beer or a glass of wine and watch some amazing 
concerts because when you think of it i mean the money they spend on the production could be like one gig but what you have to go through to do it and the price you have to pay from the artist's perspective are they ever going to get back into arenas like that again as we're sitting and talking about it in our fireside chat around here how many people professionally are kind of looking to when any sense of work will resume also think of the virtual reality aspect where you can actually be close to that person on stage you'll miss the pilgrimage right of the fan right the what it takes to get to the show is part of the story yeah that that the pilgrimage part for fan will be different could they do a beautiful job you know streaming yeah you know in virtual reality yeah you know concerts in there it's spectacular how immersive it is but you know i'm on my couch not being a musician but i can kind of feel for them but there's no interaction is there you walk mm -hmm. on stage to like forty thousand people at that level or you walk out, out stage to a hundred people who are fever pitched to see you in a club i suppose if you were a musician the fact that all these people had come to see you and were cheering and loved what you're doing probably makes you play better doesn't it I think a giant disconnect of of the liveness of everything that's going to happen from here on in will be different for a long time. But who really knows the answer? As we're sitting chatting about it, people in uh, higher offices are trying to fathom a way around it in order to exist. On today's Way Back Then, we feature the Ramones. This is an interview... I did for my radio show back in 1985 in the UK. The Ramones hail from Queens, New York, and formed in 1974. They're often cited as the first punk rock band. Sadly, the original four members of Joey, Dee Dee, Johnny and Tommy have all since passed away. It's Joey and Dee Dee you'll hear now, talking about their music and the impact they had on their die-hard fans. R.I.P. guys, you sure as hell kicked ass. Um, this is in fact your first visit to Britain for what, some five years or so? Yeah, maybe four or five years, I don't know. It would be unfair to say um, this is the return of the Ramones because you've never in fact been away, have you? No, no, we, we're just better, you know. <laughs> but uh, we have a new drummer now, so I guess it's his first trip, you know, here or anywhere. I was reading something in the press that said, uh, I'm not sure which one of you said it, but Richie being in the band made it fun being in the Ramones again. Does that in fact mean that there was a time when you were getting a bit fed up with being Ramones? Well, with Mark and the group, we had a lot of problems. We were fighting, and now with Richie, we get along better. Because in fact, your original drummer's now producing you, isn't he? Yeah. He was, um, he, he was away for a while, now he's back, and um, we're using him again. The actual uh, Ramones association with producers, I think it'd probably be true to say that hasn't worked out too well in the past, has it, with, uh, well, our own no, Mancunian Graham Goldman? I think it worked out well. I like those albums. You know, I, I like the Graham Goldman album. It was different, um, but, you know, we, like, we can't always do the same thing, you know. We like to ch do, do different things sometimes. No, Graham was good to work with, you know. a lot of new technique and stuff, you know, but... But I feel uh, I'm happy, though, with our, you know, sort of doing now what we set out initially, in a sense. Except it's better because we're, um, you know, as you go on, you, you gain experience and you learn a lot more. You know, I mean, we, it's sort of, this album sort of has the, 
almost like the initial intent of what the Ramones are, but but you know, but the songs are more diversive, and uh, I, I think you know, I think I think I'm happy. <laughs> and what about the Phil Spector Association? Was it just uh, Johnny? In fact, was the only guy who, who took to Phil Spector. The rest of you hated him, did he? Nah, it was me. We we got along well. You know, we sort of established a sort of um, you know. But um, I, I thought it was you know I like the album. I think it was a good album. Was it a time when you think you lost some fans in Britain though? No. Well, I guess we weren't so popular for a while, but we seem to be popular now. Um, we'd like to do a big tour of Britain. We're coming back in June. We, we tried to get over here and do as many shows as we could, but this is all we could get. But um, now the album's doing well, so they're going to bring us over here again. It's a shame, really, because it, re it really is a long, hard slog around the country, but I think nowadays when there is interest in your record, it's quite an important thing that you need to do. You can't do it without the record being successful. You can't come over here. Um, as it is, we lose money, and the record company has to like pick up the tab. But um, it's it's worth it because the fans are really good, and you want to you get a lot of fan mail from Britain, and you want to come over here and play. Do you find a lot of your diehard British fans are still with you now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even last night, like the damn came came by and you know it was, it was great to see them you know and I mean that's how it is in the states too I mean it's cool because we're getting a whole new you know bunch of kids coming down who are just getting into rock for the first time in their lives you know and they're coming to see us and that's great you know because I feel we'll give them the right education as opposed to them getting into uh you know an REO or something like that you know but you know we're getting like but I mean like the Ramones fans have always sort of been the great melting pot in a sense because we never just got one type of fans we always got like a, a broad spectrum of kids you know we get heavy metal fanatics and you know college kids and you know just people that that love you know real exciting rock music you know and uh you know as well as our initial fans and now like the new generation of kids so it's great you know it's great because I suppose when you were at your peak here, what, 76, 77, it was a pretty exciting time in Britain with the Pistols and the Buscocks, and here you are uh, back in Britain some, what, three or four weeks after you've sent us Foreigner to number one of the British charts. It's, it must be a different sort of scene in Britain for Americans looking on. Well, um, in America, the scene is really exciting now. You know, it's like there's a lot of new young bands, and... Um, I don't understand what's going on in Britain, though. They're playing all that techno-pop or something, you know. And we were we thought it was time for us to come back here and uh, play some rock and roll for everybody, you know, so so they know what so they can see what it's like. You've been quoted as saying the um, I forget which one of you is it is it yourself, did you? That's the hardcore fan. Oh, I like hardcore music a lot. Hard, we're very popular with the hardcore movement in, in America because um, we're good to dance to. And we, we play um, punk rock, so like according to the strict rules of it, we don't like when we play, we're the genuine thing, you know. And, and um, all the kids, like, it's very funny because usually they don't like bands that, are, that aren't their own age, you know. Most of these kids are very young, but they, for some reason they like us, you know. And, uh, yeah, but doesn't this in itself mean that they're a bit bored with what they gain? 
No, there's a lot of good bands out there. There's plenty of good bands. There's a very good scene in New York and CBGBs. You can go there in the afternoons. They have shows for the kids and all the hardcore bands play. And they and they come from all over the country to play CBGBs. And in every city there's a scene, you know, and um, they make their own independent records. And there's... Um, there's record stores for the hardcore that only sell hardcore records, and um, it's great. So the, the, I even saw a video for one of the, from Suicidal Tendencies of called. In, have you ever heard of them? They're, they're one of my. They're for a West Coast band though, yeah. or not New York. A, a lot of the good ones come from California, and then there's some of the established ones like the Dead Kennedys and the Circle Jerks and. Um, Black Flag, and we we play a lot of shows with them. We played with the Dickies a lot too. There's a lot of good groups in America. So, would you on a night off, if you ever get any night offs, would you actually go out and see any of these bands? What about you, Joey? Yeah, no, I look forward to going out and seeing a good band, you know, and you know, having some fun, you know, on a night off, you know. Seems quite ironic now, in what 1985, that um, the hardcore explosion in America has pro probably helped you. When in fact, back in '74 and CBGBs and Max's Kansas City and things, you were responsible for the start of it all in many ways. Yes, we we did start it. Everybody um, borrowed the idea from us. Like nobody used to wear leather jackets before we wore them. That wasn't in style. And now you just walk around, you see everybody wearing a leather jacket. And um, the power cording, and the, a lot of the bands count their songs one, two, three. But we don't mind, you know. It's it's all good. It's good. Flattering, you know. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I was I was felt like we were the example, the catalyst, and the example, you know. And and still, you know, it's still on, whether it be bands or artists or record companies, you know, because like nobody was getting signed before we had gotten signed. Also, they waited a year to see our progress, you know, and then they started signing everybody in the world, you know, like the major labels, you know. On the subject of getting signed, I mean, your record was available on Infot for quite a while, and again, I read you were having trouble getting a deal in Britain. I found that hard to believe, because when I picked up the album, I mean, it was, it was to me, it was such an instant album. It's, yeah, well, I, I found it kind of strange, too, because I felt... We've done so much for history, rock history, and you know, and all, but it seems to still come down to dollars and cents, and and you know, and you, and you know, you're selling, and this, you know what I mean? It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, but even so, with the 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 big companies like the EMIs and the CBSs and the Warners, I mean, they've yeah. heard of you, so it's a good enough reason for them to sign you. They don't like us, though. But also, you find them. No, well, we don't know so what. Find a, you know, a culture club clone or something like that. You know. You see, we're not trendy. Like we last. We lasted ten years, and um, we're we're not going to go away in another year like a fad. A lot of these groups they're big for like a year, you know, but then they just fade away. And like, we have it made. We've we've had a career here, and we're going to keep playing. And um, what makes it hard, though, is like when the though is like for some reason it's even hard to come over here and get jobs. No one wants to book us, but um, maybe they will now. Fond memories, but very sad too, because both Joey and Dee Dee, who I was talking to then, have since passed away. That, of course, is the Ramones, and that was part one. And the second part of the Ramones over the next few weeks. 
Way Back Then is part of Moments That Rock, where we dig deep into the archives, dust them down and deliver them. More archive interviews next week. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.